Good evening, church. Welcome to the second life class in the month of August, our month of true and total freedom. God is going to liberate you like never before by the truth of his word. We're in for a great time tonight as we continue our series on church politics. Are you ready for God's word tonight? I trust that you are. Open your Bibles quickly to the book of 1 Timothy and chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. We're only reading two verses of scripture right here. It says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Then verse 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. That's in the King James translation. In other translation, it says that you ought to know how you should conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the mainstay of truth. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says that we should know how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God, how we ought to conduct ourselves in the house of God. But how would we behave right if we don't fully understand and grasp the assignment and the purpose of the church? We would not know how we are meant to behave. We would not know how we are meant to conduct ourselves. Paul says that the house of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground, the mainstay, the foundation of truth. What a laudable position the church occupies. This picture of the church creates certain expectations of the church. This great laudable picture of the church creates certain expectations of the church and there are certain expectations we have of how we are meant to behave, how we are meant to conduct ourselves even in the church, all right? So there is a certain expectation of what the church is meant to be. We are meant to, we, we, we actually find ourselves living in a world that is full of expectations. And often in the world that we live in, our expectations are often dashed or unfulfilled. They don't get fulfilled. The subject of my teaching in this second class in our church politics series is great expectations. Come on, great expectations. Do you have great expect expectations? We're going to sort it out tonight. Uh, let us pray. Mighty Father, I ask that you help me tonight, that you speak through me, that you cause my tongue to be as the pen of the ready writer, that I might inscribe upon the hearts of the men and women that are listening to me your living truth, and that by reason of that truth, they will be elevated to a new level of experience with you in the name of Jesus. Grant us great light, great insight, great illumination that we'll be able to understand the right expectations, how to manage our expectations, and how that fits into the whole grand design of your glorious church in these last and end times. Father, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. I trust you to do more than I've asked because I've asked in the name that guarantees an answer, the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I want to encourage you to fully engage in tonight's teaching. I want you to engage in the chat columns, whatever platform you are in on. Um, let's be immersed 
in what God is saying and what God is doing in the midst of us. Just last week, Wednesday, we learned that God's plan for the world is the church. Though it wasn't the primary plan, it was the secondary plan, it was plan B. However, even this plan B of the church is to bring us back to the original plan, which is godly families accurately representing God upon the face of the earth. The essence of the assignment of the church is actually representation. The assignment is representation to be on earth what God is in heaven. All right. So that's just by way of reminding us of some of the ground we've already covered last week, Wednesday. Now we're going to be talking about great expectations today. Expectations are in the very fabric of our lives. We live with and for expectations. We live with and for expectations. A synonym for expectation is hope, hopes, hopes. Expectation, therefore, becomes the driving motivation for us. We do what we do because of what we expect to happen or what we expect to see or what we expect to receive. So I have a question for you right now. What are you expecting? What you are expecting governs what the way you prepare. It governs what you do. It governs what you how you behave. Your expectation of a better tomorrow keeps you going today. Am I right? Your expectation of payday keeps you working every day. <laughs> your expectation of a good night's sleep causes you to go and lie down in your bed in the night. You have an expectation. Your expectations inform your actions. They inform your behavior. We live with and by expectation. All right. Does that make sense? But the other side of expectation is that sometimes, and I dare say probably more times than we dare admit, our expectations go unfulfilled. Our expectations are not fulfilled. And when expectations are not fulfilled, we are left with disappointment. When expectations are not fulfilled, we are left with disappointment. So the other side of expectation is actually disappointment. Disappointment is sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. Whenever you have disappointment, investigate as to what expectation of yours was not fulfilled. Did you get that equation? Whenever you are experiencing disappointment in your life, you need to investigate to say, okay, what expectation of mine isn't being fulfilled that's causing me to be disappointed right now. Just like expectations are a fabric of our life, so is relationship a fabric of our community. Our, our disappointment in relationship is also because of unfulfilled expectations of our relationships. When we have certain expectations of our relationships and that those expectations are not fulfilled, we are disappointed. We are disappointed in, disappointed in relationship when someone doesn't do what we expect them to do or when they do something we don't like that we did not expect them to do. In both instances, the expectations are not getting fulfilled. So it leads to disappointment. So expectation, uh, when unfulfilled, causes this dispensation. Let me put it another way. Disappointment is always connected to unfulfilled expectations or unexpected negative actions. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? 
but sometimes we have to examine our expectations themselves. I'm teaching you these principles I'm sharing with you are not just applicable when we are applying it to the church, which we're going to get to in a moment. It's applicable in your everyday life, in all your relationships. These principles are applicable. So now we understand that if you are experiencing disappointment, it means that your expectation has not been fulfilled in one way or the other. But now you also need to investigate the expectations themselves because not all expectations are born equal. <laughs> Some expectations are illegitimate and unrealistic. They are illegitimate and unrealistic. How? An unrealistic expectation is one that is not based in reality. An unrealistic expectation is one that is not based in reality or that is not based on a reasonable assessment of the resources available for its fulfillment. Did you get me what I'm saying? An unrealistic expectation is one that is not based in reality or that is based on, that is not based on a reasonable assessment of the resources available for its fulfillment. In other words, it is often founded on comparison from another world, the grass is always greener on the other side, or a fantasy world. So for example, you marry a wife that has never pounded yam before in her life, and then you have an expectation that she's going to pound yam for you three times a week. That is an unrealistic expectation because you did not do your due diligence to find out whether she had the requisite resources to be able to pound yam for you every single day. So your expectation was not based in reality. It was a pipe dream. It was wishful thinking. Unrealistic expectations is when that expectation is not based, is not firmly founded, rooted in reality and a reasonable assessment of the resources available for the fulfillment of it. An illegitimate expectation, a little bit different from an unrealistic expectation. Listen closely to the definition of an illegitimate expectation. An illegitimate expectation is one that was never communicated and agreed upon. In other words, I expect you to do something, but I never communicated that expectation to you. And because I never communicated that expectation to you, my expectation becomes illegitimate. I, I actually do not have any local standing or premise to really expect you to do that because I never said, this is what I expect from you. This is what I'm looking for you. And I didn't get your agreement to say, okay, I'm okay with that, with you expecting me to do that for you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, our illegitimate expectations are typically based on assumptions. We make assumptions. Now, these principles are so applicable to relationship. And if you will get this right, you would find out you are going to limit and reduce even disappointment in your relationship. How many of the disappointments in your relationship has been based upon you having either um, unrealistic expectation of the person you are in relationship with or illegitimate expectation because you never told your spouse, your partner, or your friend what you expected of them, okay? So now that you understand these principles, we're going to take these same principles and we're going to take it into the context of the church that we are discussing in this month. Now, the question I want you to ask you right now, have you ever been disappointed by church? 
Have you ever been disappointed by the church? I've got my hand up here. I've been disappointed by the church. No, I've got two hands up. And my feet. I've been disappointed by the church before. And I'm quite sure that every single one of us have had experiences of being disappointed by the church. Have you been hurt by the church? Have you been blind, blindsided by the church? Have you? Are you secretly, secretly even right now disillusioned with church, uh, even though you are still coming and still tuning in? Do you believe in God, but not so much any longer in the church? Have you considered stop, stopping to come to church, but you, yet you want to retain your faith in Christ? Now, though the pain of, of our disappointment is real, the pain of our disappointment with church, when our expectations of church have not been fulfilled, though the pain of it, now, the, you see, I, I want you to get this right. The, the, when somebody disappoints you, whether it is based in reality or unrealistic or illegitimate or not, the pain of being disappointed disappointment is still a very real emotion. So, so the, the truth is that the pain of a disappointment with church can be very real, but we have to ask ourselves, could it be because we entered into the relationship with the church, with the body of Christ, with unrealistic and illegitimate expectations? Could it be possible that your expectations of the church, the expectations you have harbored and kept for the church have been both unrealistic and illegitimate. <laughs> but the question is, were our expectations of, of the church truly realistic and legitimate in the first place? The greater the expectation you have of a thing, the greater the disappointment will be if that thing does not fulfill your expectation. And it's almost like the, the tables are stacked against the church because the church is the one institution that most people bring the highest expectation to. We expect so much of the church. We come expecting so much and too often we leave receiving too little. Why do we expect so much of the church? Why do you expect so much of the church? We're going somewhere and we're going deep tonight. We come to the church expecting perfection and standards of care that we do not personally demand even of ourselves. But yet we will hold the church to those standards that we are not willing to fulfill ourselves. Why is this the case? Well, it's because we, the church is the house of God. So we should have high expectations of the house of God. But we, we fail to balance it with the reality that it is the same imperfect people that we relate with and interact with in our day-to-day -day and in the world that come into the church. And so how do we expect that just simply because they stepped into the church, boom, they, uh, because it's the house of God, now they're going to be perfectly behaved. That's not a realistic expectation. Why should we expect them to suddenly be consistently different from how they are outside the church in church? So this, this is an unrealistic expectation that church would somehow automatically be perfect because it is called the house of God. Another reason why we, we are frustrated with church and often disappointed with church is because of the perception of politics in church. And we talked somewhat extensively about that last week, Wednesday. And, and the perception of politics, the perception of church politics contributes to our disappointment. 
The power of perception is great indeed because your perception is your reality. So he who controls your perception controls your reality. And therefore, the world, the media, and social media, and the devil have, have had a huge impact on our perception of the church. Every time you're watching a movie or majority of movies, the bad guy or the lunatic or the crazy guy is associated with, uh, with the church or with the Christian faith because they are certainly trying to build a, a, a picture in your mind. It doesn't even have to be true. It just needs to be perceived as such and it causes great damage. When we talk of politics in a place, we mean people are getting advantage through favor that has nothing to do with their merit. We feel that people are advancing or they're getting certain advantages or certain benefits simply because somebody is favoring them, not because they're truly deserving of it or they merit it. But the reality is, it's not that the reality is that once there is more than one person in a place, there will always be politics. We said that last week also. And in church, but in church, we want equity. We want justice. We want the fair disbursement of any advantages in church. But the problem is we come to church with different ideas. Listen closely. We come to church with different ideas of how favor or perceived advantage will be distributed or meted out. We come to church with our different standards as to how things should be done in the house of God. Often because of this disparity in our, uh, our expectations on how things will be done, we are already setting ourselves up for disappointment, okay? Hallelujah. So I'm going to give a few of the scenarios that that typically people bring to church that often leads to disappointment. People come some people come into church with a, a, a first come, first serve mentality. So they feel that everything in church needs to be done uh, by 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 reason of who came first and who has been here the longest. So they think that reward promotion, advantages, or whatever it is, must be first meted to those who arrived first and have been the longest. But we find that Jesus turns this over on its head. When he was given the parable of that man that employed people at 6 a.m., employed some people at 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m., and some people at 5 p.m. when they were going to close work at 6 p.m., and then when they closed work at 6 p.m., the master paid everybody the same amount of money. Who does that? Of course, the people that had been working all day long were frustrated, said, how can you pay the guy that only worked for one hour the same amount that you are paying me that has worked so long? And basically, the principle that Jesus was trying to bring out there is that, number one, I don't judge by the outward appearance. Number two, I do, I'm not going to reward premised on duration. It's not a function of first come, first serve. In fact, he went ahead to say the first shall be last and the last shall be first. This is ridiculous. But a lot of people bring the mentality of first come, first serve duration into their judgment of how things should be done in the church of God. The truth be told, because we are often not going to the word of God to find out from the word of God how the church is meant to function, 
we take secular and worldly uh, philosophies, idea, ideologies, and standards, and we bring it into the church, and we say, okay, let's run the church by these templates of the world. No, we're not supposed to take a template from the world and superimpose it upon the church. We're supposed to get the template from the word of God. And not that mentality that some people bring into the church is the mentality of ageism. They think that everything in the church should be done by reason of who is the oldest chronologically. So the oldest should have all the advantage while the youngest uh, have little or no advantage. Oh, well, again, the Bible turns that over on its head. Even when Paul is writing to Timothy, he realizes that Timothy is a pastor that is younger in age than a whole lot of the people that he's having to pastor. And he says to Timothy, let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example of the believer. He tells him that it's not a function of age here. It's a function of calling. It's a function of the offices that that have been divinely given to each person. And for us to truly function in humility in the church, it cannot be a humility that is premised only on age. It must be a humility that is premised on the discernment of who is called to occupy what role, okay? Am I saying that age should not be respected? No, sir, no, ma. Even in the letter that Paul writes to Timothy, he does tell him about how to relate with those that are and it's with honor, with regard, and with respect. So we're not saying that age should not be respected. We're just saying that it's not the core tenant of how the internal workings of the church is meant to be. Also, some people are coming to church with another philosophy, another ideology, which is the charity mentality. That church is meant to be all about charity. It's meant to be all about clothing the naked, feeding the poor, helping the homeless, caring for the widow, uh, taking on the orphan, and all those are great things, but they are not the primary thing. They are a part of the package. Do not get me wrong, but when we make it the entirety of the package, we've missed what the purpose of the church is. So they feel that any church that is not doing charity 24-7 is not a good church. I got to get out of that church. Well, that devil is a liar. You got it wrong. That's not the way it's meant to be. We will do all those things. It is part of what the church does, does, but it's not the primary assignment or the primary thing that the church does. And when we do those things, we do them unapologetically for the gospel of Christ. So we will always be preaching the gospel of Christ even as we do good to our world. Now at the root of this is that very often people come to church with their own personal passions. So the person that has passion for the homeless comes and wants church to all be all about the homeless. The person that has passion for the hungry comes and wants church to be all about feeding the hungry. So their passion is what is defining their own politics, their own ideology of how the church is meant to function. Uh, And then another typical baggage that people bring to church and uh, and come with that expectation to church and can get disappointed is that they carry the baggage of the church that they are coming from. And now a lot of the the time, 
There is something you did not like in the church that you are coming from. Maybe it informed you're leaving the church that you're coming from. But there were a few things that you liked. And now you took the ideologies, the philosophies, the template of the church you're coming from and then try to enforce it or try to say, now I want this church I have joined to function by the same ideologies and philosophies and modus operandi of where I am coming from. No, sir, that's not the way to go. When you come to church, when you come to a new church, when you join a new church, you humble yourself and be a student to learn and realize that at the end of the day, we want to make sure that whatever policies, systems, and processes that are set up in any local assembly, they are premised upon the word of God and we are walking according to the work of God. Another critical problem that happens in a lot of churches is that people come to church with a cultural mindset. So now we mistake our, our cultures from where we are coming from with the gospel of Christ. And there has to be a clear division between our culture and the gospel of Christ. So and typically you can come to a church which has a preponderance of people from a particular ethnicity. And then the culture of that ethnicity becomes the predominant culture in the church. Well, that's not really how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the culture of the kingdom of God, which we derive from inside the word of God. There's been a whole huge disservice done to the church when we misrepresent the gospel, our culture, as if it were the gospel. This was also the contention, remember, between Paul and Peter. Where Paul, where Peter was trying to insist along with other apostles that to be a Christian, you've got to be circumcised in your flesh. Meanwhile, the circumcision, the ordinance of circumcision was the Jewish culture. While Paul now says, no, that's not a requirement. That the, the circumcision that God is after is the circumcision of the heart. Do not superimpose your culture upon everyone else and say it is the dictate of God or it is the gospel of Christ Jesus. That devil is a liar. Now, is our culture wrong? No, there are a lot of good things in various cultures. What is critical is that you do not present your culture as the gospel. It's your culture, it's your culture. It's your custom, it's your custom. And if it's a good one, it's a good one. But don't say it's the gospel. And let's not make it the tenant, the pillar of the church, that it must be our culture that everybody abides by. In certain cultures, when you are greeting, you, you prostrate, you bow down, or you do one thing or another. And in other cultures, they don't do that. Now, you've got to be willing, when you come into the body of Christ, when you come into church, to let go of your culture, because it is a multi, multinational, multiracial, multi-ethnic uh, gathering of people. So you can't expect somebody that does not come from your culture, or and, and and you can't even tell which culture anybody comes from anymore simply by how they look. <laughs> so you've got to let go of your culture and embrace kingdom culture. With all these different mentalities, with all these different standards, and I've just listed a few there, many others that we could research and bring up. Maybe you have a few that you know also. If you have a few that you know that mindsets and expectations that people bring to church, please put it in the chat column. Come on, come on, go ahead right now. Type in a few more that maybe I have not mentioned. I would love to hear back from you. You can send me a message, send me an email, whatever, of other mentalities 
opportunities that people bring to church that often creates a, an atmosphere that's definitely going to lead to disappointment. But can you imagine that with all these different mentalities, standards, and expectations, it is there is hardly any way that the leadership of any church is going to not offend somebody. Any way you cut it, you are damned if you do, you are damned if you don't. One way or another, the leader is going to affect somebody. The leadership of the church is has to sort through all these expectations and adhere to the standards of the word of God. We have got to go back to the purpose of the church. Oh, Lord Jesus. So, so this is a struggle with leadership, trying to, 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 to maintain equity and balance. And meanwhile, the, the measures that people are even using to measure you are, are informed by their own expectations that's coming from a belief system that is not necessarily what the Word of God is teaching. So people like me have to labor in teaching you the Word of God line upon line to hopefully mold your expectations to be in alignment with God's expectation. One of the key causes of disappointment, another one, in the church is, is hypocrisy or the perception of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform or demanding moral standards of others that we are not willing to adhere to ourselves. This is what we call hypocrisy. And we have a lot of hypocrisy that we see around ourselves. Uh, we have a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees in church who see the word of God as a means of judging others rather than a means of molding themselves more into the image of Christ Jesus. Oh God, help us, help us, help us, help us. Deliver us from the pharisaical who see from afar your flaws <laughs> or the Sadducees who are sad at everything that they see. Oh no, God, may we, may we be purged of every pharisaical and Sadduceical mindset in the name of Jesus. The problem with hypocrisy is that we we think of whenever we think of hypocrisy we think of others and not ourselves we point our fingers at others while there are four other fingers pointing right back at us in dealing with hypocrisy jesus says judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment that you judge you will be judged and with the measure you you use it will be measured back to you and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye or how do you say to your brother let me remove the speck from your eye and 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 look a plank is in your own eye hypocrite first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye can, can you imagine if you have a plank in your eye how are you able to even see the speck in your uh, brother's eye this is also informative that sometimes the speck you think that you are seeing in your brother's eye is actually the plank in your own eye that's affecting your side that if you were to remove the plank in your own eye you might all of a sudden realize that ain't, there ain't no speck in your brother's eye for you to remove anymore it's interesting how it's a reason for you but an excuse for somebody else you are merciful on your own misdeeds and judge yourself by your intentions but you are merciless on other people's missteps we need to get rid of hypocrisy and and allowing hypocrisy to inform church culture it only sets us up 
um, for, for disappointment, all right? We need to get rid of the unrealistic expectation. Now, note this, of a perfect church or the unrealistic expectation of perfection in the church and of the church advantage and position and leadership and i don't even know why anybody would see leadership as some form of advantage it is more labor and service in the church is governed by calling faithfulness expressed in sacrifice and availability gifts given and the favor of the lord all of these things come together to inform who is called upon to take this role to lead in this capacity or the other and we do it with honesty and sincerity let's get rid of an unrealistic expectation of perfection in the church there is no perfect church anywhere there is no perfect church anywhere oh lord jesus None of us is perfect in ourselves. So even if there were a perfect church somewhere, the day you joined the church, it just became an imperfect church. Church is not a place of perfection, but rather a place for imperfect people to strive towards perfection in communal love and grace towards one another be gracious to your brother be gracious to your sister and let them reciprocate the same back to you as we together strive towards perfection now even though we come to the conclusion that the church is not a perfect place but a place for imperfect people to strive towards perfection does that mean we lower the standards to accommodate our imperfections and weaknesses no sir no ma we've got to still keep the standards high and continue to strive for those standards by the grace of god even when we fall short every once in a while we've got to keep on striving we've got to be gracious in handling the shortfall that we sometimes have of meeting the mark okay so all of that I've said right now, hopefully has started to give you great light as regards coming to church with the right expectations, dealing with all those wrong expectations that has been setting you up for disappointment after disappointment. So now let's start talking about right expectation. Some would advise you that the only way to deliver yourself from, um, from disappointment is to keep your expectations low. Then you won't be disappointed. In fact, if possible, eliminate any expectation. You don't have any expectation, so you won't be disappointed. Now, as, as wise as that counsel might sound, I, sound, I do not subscribe to it. Am I suggesting that we live without expectation? No, sir. We need expectation, hope, to live by and to aspire to and to strive for. So it is not, the conclusion is don't have any expectation. The con 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 conclusion really should be get your expectation right. Let your expectations be founded upon the word of God. Let your expectations be aligned with the will of God. Let your expectations be realistic, all right? And, and let them be legitimate because they've been clearly communicated and agreed upon do you get me what i'm saying our expectations must be realistic they must be legitimate and they must be purpose defined three characteristics right there i hope you're getting it your expectations of the church should be realistic they should be legitimate 
because they are communicated and agreed upon and they should be purpose defined. So even when you are joining any church, you want to find out what are the what are the customs, what do they adhere to, what's their belief system here, because you want to be clear of what you can expect and what they will be expecting of you. The purpose of a thing should define our expectations of it. The purpose of a thing should define our expectations of it. So that is why this teaching series is so important. Because when you understand the true purpose of the church, it should define what you expect from the church. Maybe because you have misunderstand the true, misunderstood the true purpose of the church, that's why you've been bringing wrong expectations to the church and getting disappointed all the time. So what is the purpose of the church? Why church? Why church? The purpose of the church? The church is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. The church was birthed through the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. The church was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. Hallelujah. What was the primary assignment of the church upon its inauguration? We read, as Jesus said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, or witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Did you get that? So the purpose of the church at its inauguration was to be witnesses of Christ. The purpose of the church was therefore to continue the work of Christ. Are you getting it right? The primary purpose of the church, listen to me, is therefore not inwards but outwards. It's not inwards and outwards. It was and is to reach the world. Hallelujah. We really get a clearer understanding of the purpose of the church when we go to the book of Ephesians and chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read all the way from verse 7 to verse 13. Listen closely because this really lets us get a clear understanding of the purpose of the church. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. This is talking about Jesus. When he ascended, he gave gifts to men. Okay, so he's giving gifts to men for the work of the church that's going to continue in his absence. Now this, he ascended. What does that mean? That he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now listen to verse 11 downwards. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, the fivefold ministry. Now it tells you why. For the equipping of the saints, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, edifying means growth, for the growth of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here we see the full manifesto, the full functionality of the church, how it is meant to be. He gave fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, to equip the saints. So this is what's supposed to be happening in church. The fivefold ministry, the leaders, they are meant to be equipping the saints, the believers. Equipping them for what? Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry.
and this results in the edifying or the growth, the blessing of the body of Christ. Okay, so the fivefold ministry equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? Some of us will think the work of the ministry is ushering, it's all of the things we do in church. It is part of it, but that's not the core of the work of the ministry. What ministry is he talking about when he says the work of the ministry? The ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 19, listen to it. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of what? He has given us what? The ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to him, himself, not imputing their trespasses, their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So the work of ministry here, the ministry that has been committed to us is the ministry of reconciliation. That's a message all by itself. Our assignment is to reconcile the world back unto God, to let the world know that the price has already been paid by Christ Jesus. God is no longer angry with them, and now it's time for them to accept what has been done for them and come into the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. So my job as a part of the fivefold ministry is to equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry of reconciliation, and the result of this will be that the body of Christ will continue to be edified. In other words, will continue to grow in quantity and in quality. And the final real end result, he says, till we all become more and more like Jesus. So it still comes back to this assignment of representing God accurately upon the face of the earth. So, listen to me, the church is not primarily a bless me center. This is some of the damages that we have done to the church in the last number of years with the seeker sensitive movement and all of that, which has its own virtues. But when taken to the extreme, we get into trouble. We've now turned church into so, so customer conscious and we've all been programmed coming to church to see like, like we've come into a show or into a shop to see, does this shop fit my fancy? Does, does, does it tickle my, my, my bless me um, um, odometer? <laughs> so we've turned church into a bless me club. Oh, pastor, bless me if you can. So we've come with that mentality, with the consumer mentality, the American capitalist consumer mentality that I've come here to get something. And if I, I'm not getting what I want to get, if it's not scratching my itch, I'm going to move on. This church ain't good. But the church is not primarily a bless me center. The church is, an, is for equipping saints. It's an equipment center. It's a boot camp. It's a training camp. The church is a place for maturing. The church is a perfection center where we are being perfected to become more and more like Christ. The question is, how do you then uh, use an instrument that is inherently, inherently imperfect to work a work of perfection? How does God use what is imperfect to create perfection? Don't worry, I'll answer that question next week, Wednesday. Our expectation of the church should be informed by our understanding of her purpose. 
The church exists to equip you along with other believers to continue the mandate of Christ to reach the world, resulting in the continual growth of the church quantitative, quantitatively and qualitatively, becoming more and more like Christ. Your personal blessings are fringe benefits on this pathway of purpose and should never become the primary reason for the existence of the church, save when those blessings directly relate to the fulfillment of the primary purpose. Did you get that? You're going to have to listen to that mouthful again and again. And if possible, write it down. The church exists to equip you along with other believers to continue the mandate of Christ to reach the world. The ministry of reconciliation resulted in the continual growth of the church quantitatively and qualitatively becoming more and more like Christ. Your personal blessings are fringe benefits on this pathway of purpose and should never become the primary reason for the existence of the church, save when those blessings are actually part of the equipment to fulfill the primary purpose. The priority of the church remains reaching the world. The church remains the centerpiece of God's move in these last days. Seek ye first the kingdom and its righteousness and all other things shall be added unto you. The church is not meant to be a matter of convenience. It's meant to be a matter of commitment. And we are committed to the body of Christ, to the church, to forward the mission of Christ upon the face of the earth. Hallelujah. When you get all I have said to you tonight right, you will get your great expectations right and your disappointments will be reduced and eliminated to a very great degree in the mighty name of Jesus. I want you to meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them. Go back and study and check whether they be so and be rooted and grounded in them and you will arise to new levels of fulfillment, of joy, of relevance, of significance and of impact in the mighty name of Jesus. I have to give the opportunity to somebody there that needs to become a part of the body of Christ today. If you are ready to become a part of the body of Christ today, to come into this commonwealth of salvation, can you please repeat these words of prayer after me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the price that you paid for me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Today, I repent of my sin and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart and have confessed with my mouth. Therefore, by faith, I am born again, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Blessed be God. If you said that prayer, you are indeed saved. You are a member of the body of Christ and we are happy to receive you. And we want you to grow from being a child of God to becoming a mature son of God. So please direct message us on any of our platforms or give us a call, email us, 
follow the pathway on our website and let's help you in that growth process in the mighty name of Jesus. We can't close out this service without giving an opportunity for people to give unto the work of the Lord. Please choose the way that is most preferred by you. I pray that as you give towards this great work, that God will bless you. Even in these challenging times, he will supply for your needs. He will be your shield, your buckler, your glory, and the lifter up of your head in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. And next week Wednesday, don't you miss it. It's going to be good. It's going to be hot. Hallelujah. As we start talking about how God uses imperfections to work a work of perfection. Tell somebody about it and let's increase our numbers in our midweek life classes. God bless you. Let's share the grace and fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen. And surely God's goodness and God's mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen and amen.